But it looks to me this morning that we have a few fewer sheep than normal. <laughs> it, uh, I got to tell you, it's, it's so great to be in contemporary worship, especially on the morning in which we spring ahead. Because I didn't have to get dressed up quite as nicely. I didn't have to pay as much attention. I could get here early, casually. It's a little more informal, and it's, it's great to be with all of you. And always great to be with the Virginia Road Band. I'm so thrilled that Jenny Jones and the band uh, that great. And Terry, your vocals and harmonies are fabulous. Thank you. It's so fun to see what's happening here. Um, the uh, On the way down here, I came down the hall and Reverend Jessica Von Lohr was heading down the hall in the other direction towards traditional worship. And I'm dressed casually, she's dressed a little more formally. And, uh, and she said, you know, this is a hard sermon to preach. And I said, you know, I found that to be true too. I mean, proclamation of the gospel. We're not all that great at it in the Presbyterian church. And uh, so, I, so she's over there doing the same thing that I'm doing here this morning. And I got to tell you, I'm so thrilled at the addition of Jessica Von Lower to the staff of the church. sitting in here were on that search committee, so uh, congratulations and thank you for your work and discernment for uh, the church. It's, she's just been wonderful, has brought energy, intelligence, imagination, and love to our ministries and particularly contemporary worship. Yeah. Uh, it's, a little, it's a little intimidating to be frank about it because every week in staff meeting we look at attendance. And traditional keeps going down, and contemporary keeps going up. And I think, my gosh, uh, you know, I better up my game here because she's really good, and you all know that you're connecting with her. So I, I, it's a thrill for me to be able to be back in contemporary worship this morning. Uh, our text of scripture today comes from Romans. And Romans is one of the letters in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote. And it's probably his most carefully worked theological treatise. Uh, he builds on ideas in other letters in the New Testament, but he's writing to Rome. This is the capital of the Roman Empire. And he's not attended or he's not visited Rome up to this point. But he's interested in the church there. And so he's writing to them, and he's looking forward to a time when he will visit them. And in fact, he does get to Rome, but not quite the way he thought he would. But in this text, he's writing about what has happened in Jesus Christ, and what it means for people's lives. And he's, he's articulating in chapters 9, 10, and 11, what has happened to the Jewish people as a result of Christ and what that means for the rest of the world. So it's a, it's a remarkable thing. He's saying that the covenant that God has had with the Jews is still intact, but amazing. Now it includes everyone who calls on Christ and who confesses Him as their Lord and Savior. Frankly, it's the reason we're all here. 
Maybe because we're Gentiles in that world, right? We're non-Jews. But the gospel now is extending to the whole world. And Paul is driven by that gospel. So let me just pick up these couple of verses from chapter 10 in which he's making this argument. And he says, How then can they call on one whom they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, this week, uh, Lent began. And with Lent comes that 40-day period of preparation, really, for the coming of Easter. It's 40 days minus the Sundays. So it's a little different um, addition and subtraction here. But... Uh, this Lenten period is always a time of preparation, and it's also a time of self-examination. And we thought during this period of Lent, it'd be great if uh, we shifted our sermon series. Since the first of the year, we've been talking about the call of God. God's call on our lives as individuals. So we've had texts like Ezekiel and last week, and we've had texts... Uh, of the calling of God of different people, disciples, Old Testament, New Testament people. And God calls us individually as people to himself and to be part of the community of faith. Now we want to shift that call and talk about God's call to us as a body, as a community. What is God calling us to as a church? And what is our understanding of that call. So we decided that since there's six weeks essentially in preparation for Easter during the time of Lent, we take on the six great ends of the church. And today is the very first one, proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of humankind. You'll find all of those six great ends printed in your bulletin. So we'll be taking one on each week. And um, these are a series of ends for the church that have existed for over a century. And it has helped churches understand what it is we are about as the church of Jesus Christ. We should be about these six great ends. Um, now, the word end, what's that mean? Well, the church really should be driven more by its future than by the past. The end, is, it's a goal, but it's more than a goal. Um, in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is one of the confessional documents of the church that came out of the Reformation period, the very first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is this, what is the chief end of humankind? And the chief end, the answer says, is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. That's the chief end of human existence. 
What they mean by end is what is the goal? What, what should we be focused upon? What is the purpose for which we exist? And one of the purposes for which the church exists is to proclaim the gospel, the good news for the salvation of humankind. How do we accept that call? How do we take on that challenge of proclaiming the gospel? So the church is driven not so much by its past. We have a past. I mean, this church is, what, 77, 78 years old? We've got a past, and we have traditions, and we're grateful for those. And, of course, the church generally has a past that goes all the way back to the first century. So we have history, and we have traditions, and we have uh, a lot of things that are valuable, like the facility. But we're not primarily driven by our past. We're primarily driven by God's future. That future that calls us forward. That invitation to be part of what God intends for the redemption of the world. That's what ought to be driving us more than our traditions and our past. Keeping, maintaining the church. We ought to be about what God intends for everyone. We are sort of a live model of what God intends. We should be a demonstration of a new kind of way of living. A way of living with one another that's loving, that's forgiving, that's redemptive, that's restorative, that helps human life flourish. Not only for ourselves, but for everyone. So, are we doing that? I mean, is that what we're really about? We have remarkable resources, and we're grateful for them. But we're not here to preserve the past. We're here to embrace God's coming future. Now, I grew up in the Presbyterian Church, and many of you probably did as well. I was a child once. You may not believe that, but I don't <laughs> Uh, as a child, you know, I sang in the children's choir at our church. It was a big downtown church with 3,000 members and big choral program. And I went to confirmation and completed my confirmation and memorized all the things I needed to memorize and all of that. But like so many young people, when I, when I finished confirmation, I considered that graduation from church kind of had negotiated with my parents. Okay, I'll, I'll do this, but then I'm done. I don't want to go anymore. And so whatever answers I was looking for in my life, I wasn't looking for the church to provide them. I'd already decided that the church was irrelevant for me. Um, but I had to rethink that position a few years later when I got into crisis in my own life in, in my teen years. And I was really grateful for a parachurch organization that existed in my community uh, called Young Life. They were proclaiming the gospel to young people. And it made a huge difference in my life. Here's Dave Avramovich, who's uh, Young Life regional director here. And Joe Forgatch, one of the young people who came through our church here, grew up here, uh, is the area director for Young Life. So there's, an, there's a, a connection that we have with Young Life in this congregation. But 
I was so grateful that somebody was proclaiming the gospel in a way that I could understand it as a young person. Uh, because I didn't really get that from my church. Now, I don't really blame the church for that. I mean, I wasn't ready to hear it. So, it, it, you know, in God's timing, I was able to hear it. Uh, and it made a huge difference in my life. Certainly a huge difference in the last 40 years of my life. Uh, I was kind of running my ship on the rocks. So to have heard the gospel and be able to respond to it was just a great gift. And I wonder if we are providing that gift to others. Proclamation of the gospel. It's what the disciples responded to when Jesus said, will you follow me? The Lord of life calls us to follow him. I didn't realize that I actually needed to respond to that in some way. I thought that was kind of the background, right? But it actually called for a response. And it's clear from the scriptural accounts that some people respond positively and others respond negatively to that call. Um, you know, there are calls to us to be individuals who respond to that call. When you hear that somebody loves you, it kind of demands a response. You don't just say, gosh, that's nice, and walk away. You know, it calls for something in response. And that's primarily the message. We just heard it from Bong and from Jenny. This, the message of the gospel is God loves us in a way that brings healing and restoration to our lives. And that demands some kind of a response from us. Now, the Apostle Paul was one of the most important proclaimers of the gospel in the first century. He was the evangelist to the Gentiles, to the nations. Paul's desire was to proclaim the gospel to non-Jews, to those outside the community of faith. Peter was more focused on those within the Jewish community. But Paul's energy and commitment was to those outside. And so he reached out. He was uh, deeply embedded in the Jewish faith. But he says elsewhere in another letter, he said, I consider everything that I had before rubbish. Complete junk compared to what I've discovered now in Christ Jesus. And I want other people to get in on this. I want other people to know this. Because this means more to me than anything I've ever known or heard. You know, I've got this idea that in about five minutes, a bunch of people are going to start coming in because they realize that uh, it's, they didn't set their clocks forward, so let's, let's just kind of all pretend here. When they, when they kind of come in, like, oh, you know, where are you? You know, today, 
it's a little more difficult to proclaim the gospel than it used to be. hundred years ago, there were missionary societies within the denomination and missionary societies that worked between denominations to evangelize the world. And there was a huge effort in the 19th century and the early 20th century to go out and proclaim the gospel to people who have never heard it. Because how will they respond if they've never heard? And how will they hear if no one's ever sent? So missionary societies and denominations were sending people all over the world 100 years ago. They were much better at proclaiming the gospel than we are today. And there's reasons for that. I mean, part of the reason for that is that religion has become really kind of privatized. You know, we don't talk about the gospel as truth so much as we talk about it as, well, it's my truth. This is what I've found to be true. And we're a little hesitant to proclaim something that's true for all people and for everyone when it comes to our religious faith. There's another good reason for that. And in our country, you know, the separation of church and state has also led to a little bit of the privatization of religious faith. You know, we separate these things from the public life to kind of our private life, and we keep them separate. Um, it's, it's common for people to say, I'm spiritual but not religious, right? It's privatized. Or I believe, I just don't belong. I don't feel obligated to belong. It's very individualistic. So because of that understanding, it makes it kind of hard to go out into the community or into the public arena and say something that we think is true for all people about our faith. Uh, so we've become kind of mute about that in the public arena. Everybody knows you don't talk about politics or religion in society. You don't go to a dinner party and start talking about these things because it, it's divisive, right? It makes people uncomfortable. So we don't want to make people uncomfortable, so we kind of privatize our religion. The best we get here in the Presbyterian Church is we're willing maybe once a year to put out a sign in our front yard inviting people to Lacey Park to the sunrise service for uh, Easter morning. You know, that's what we call evangelism. <laughs> you know, it's an invitation. It's an invitation, but, you know, it's, it's really... You know, come if you want. Um, no pressure. And, and that's kind of the best we get. So it's no wonder I'm having a hard time figuring out how to preach about proclaiming the gospel for the salvation of humankind. Because the best we can do as Presbyterians is a weak invitation to come and join the church at doing something. Maybe we need to think more deeply about what it means to proclaim the gospel. I know in Young Life, the founder of Young Life back in the 40s, Jim Rayburn, was a Presbyterian minister. And he was at a church in Texas, and he was saying, if we wait for kids to come to the church, it's not going to happen. We have to go to them. We have to get involved in their world. 
not wait for them to come to our world. That in a, in a sense, Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of people. Jesus said, go. Baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teach them all that I've commanded you. And I will be with you. But instead, the church has tended to say, come. We invite you to our programs. We'll put up a sign that says, fish, welcome. But we don't go much beyond that in terms of proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Um, it's great for all of us within the church, but are we really engaging people outside the church in a significant way? You know, it's been said that for every church, we're just one generation away from extinction. If we don't pass on the faith to the next generation, there will be no church. It won't be sustained. This image, this um, value, these virtues will not be embraced. And in many ways, uh, in our denomination and in many of the other denominations, there's decreasing numbers. We're closing churches. So this isn't just a theoretical thing. It's actually happening. So how do we proclaim the gospel for the salvation of humankind, especially to the next generation? That's, I think, fundamentally a question that I'm wrestling with. You know, one of the things that's difficult for me is to bury children. I mean, you can imagine. You can imagine why that's true. It's just not easy to do. But let me share my heart with you a little bit. Here we have ministries in the church that start with two and three-year-olds the minute they're potty trained. Our nursery school provides a place for families to bring children so that they can develop their motor skills, develop social skills, begin to learn, provide the foundation for an education. And they can look across from our playground to the playground at the elementary school at Valentine, and they can see the future that's drawing them forward. And when they get over to Valentine, they can look back and they can see the safety of the place they've known before as they're growing and learning. We have, you know, choir programs, music and discovery, we have American Girls and a variety of programs for children. We have confirmation, we have youth group, middle school, high school, and for some reason, some children who come through those programs never seem to understand or embrace what's fundamental to our faith, that life can be different, that these values of our faith make a difference. What you believe makes a difference in life. So I, I buried children 
who've come through our programs, been through our nursery school, gone to our Sunday school, been in our confirmation programs, and I buried them because they got involved with drugs. I buried them because they took their own lives. And I wonder, are we doing an adequate job of proclaiming the gospel, even to our own children, much less to other children in the community? Can't help but ask the question, how did we feel, these kids? found as I age, I, I have emotional incompetence. <laughs> I just feel deeply about this. The Apostle Paul proclaimed the gospel because he was absolutely convinced it made a difference in people's lives. It made a difference in how they lived, how they lived together. It made a difference in how they dealt with the tragedies of life and how they cared for one another. He was absolutely convinced of this, and he went to his own death because he was so convinced of it. We are called, as a community of faith, to be a witness to something that's spectacular and has changed the lives of people throughout the generations. It's probably the reason that we're here this morning, because we've experienced that in some degree, on some level. We have known God's love, and it's made a difference in our lives. How are they going to hear unless somebody proclaims him? How are they going to proclaim him unless someone's sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And that good news is there's a better way to live. There's a way to live that allows human life to flourish. Not only our lives, but our lives together. And we live in a time where we're so divided by our politics and by our viewpoints and we're so at odds with one another. We need to proclaim good news for the salvation of humankind. And it begins here. So let me conclude with this. Because of the passion I feel about this, I'm recruiting you're going to hear more about this this spring, but I'm recruiting. I'm recruiting teachers. I think we need to do better in our education programs here in the church. I think uh, this is no 
criticism of our current teachers. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I'm grateful if you're part of teaching Sunday school, I'm grateful for that. But we need to do more than a mediocre job, and I think we can. I think we can do a better job if we have people who are a little more passionate and a little more willing to commit to having an influence in young people's lives. Frankly, it's convenient for us to be teachers once a month. It's not too big of a commitment for anyone. The problem is you don't get to know kids and they don't get to know you on that basis. So if we're gonna actually transform people's lives and transform relationships, it's gonna take more than that. So if anything I've said this morning has connected with you, think about becoming a teacher in our own education programs here at the church. You'll hear more about it, and you'll have an opportunity to respond in the coming weeks and months. Let us close in prayer. So gracious God, we thank you for good news. We thank you for the good news that has gotten loose in our lives. We ask that by your grace, that good news might be let loose in the lives of others through what we do and say here. So use us, Lord. We seek to be your witnesses. We seek to be faithful. Help us to be even more faithful. For we pray in the name and for the sake of Christ. Amen.